Well, greetings and welcome back to the Guardian podcast with Ren Melberg. I'm your host, Harold Nickel. And you know, last week we learned, among many other things, that Ren is incredibly interested in waste and, more importantly, preventing waste. The conversation this week will go from stemming the amounts of waste to some of the practicalities and behaviors that will not only prevent waste, but help to make organizations more profitable. But before we get into that too deeply, there's some terms that we need some clarification on, and it's going to be alphabet soup or fun with acronyms, Ren. So help us out with ROI, IRR, and WJF. I'm going to guess that WSJF is not a radio station. Am I right? You're very right. So I'll start at the beginning. Um, ROI is return on investment and is the most um, common. Most people know it and it's used a lot to calculate um, profitability on a particular product. It's very simple and it just looks at the net profit versus the assets invested. Um, It does not, however, look at things like the cost of money, the time value of money, or um, the cost of time to market, or any of those things. It's incredibly simplistic, um, which is why people like it, Mm -hmm. Uh, because almost anyone can understand ROI, right? We hear people throw it out all the time. Sure. Um, the difficulty with ROI, because it doesn't consider these other factors, it tends to be the least um, accurate. Hmm. That's so bad that news. Most understood? Yeah, least accurate. Um, it does have some pretty definite value, though. So if you are um, assessing an, an investment, or uh, multiple investments, actually, because you'd only use it if you're trying to decide which one you want to take, mm-hmm. that are very, very similar So I'm trying to decide, do I want to invest in hedge fund A, B, or C? ROI is probably the way to go. They're all very similar. Um, You're really not, you know, the the relationship to time in the market is the same. It's actually not relevant to what you're doing. Uh, Time value of money is the same. You know, so there's a lot of underlying calculations and attributes that are the same. So you can use something really simple like ROI. Okay. Um, so but, if I if I invest a hundred dollars and I get ten back, that's my ROI, my return on that hundred dollar investment. Yes, okay. yep. So very simple, right? And and because it's so simple, it's the most commonly used. Okay. Um, one that's a little more complicated and actually. You know, I like to joke it's why we invented Excel, is the internal rate of return. Um, if you have accountants or you have cons- a consulting firm, you know, one of the big consulting houses um, working for you, they're more likely going to call it by its very expensive name, which is the discounted cash flow rate of return. Oh, wow. Um, they like to call it that name. I'm just going to be honest with you because it sounds intimidating and scary, doesn't it? Does. It does. 
But it's the exact same thing as your internal rate of return. Um, and in some parts, you also hear it as your economic rate of return. Mm-hmm. But we're looking at the exact same thing. We're looking at the profitability of an investment over time. And so we're really assessing the time value of money. Okay. Um, one of the things in why this is so um, popular and effective in a lot of organizations is because not all investments have the same um, relationship with time. So, for instance, if you're a car manufacturer, you need to get all your um, revenue from that one car mm-hmm. in the first year. Okay, that, that makes keep, sense. Right, you don't keep making money on that over 10 years. Right? No. But if I introduce a credit card product... I'm actually going to be making more money on that card in the second or third year than I am in the first year. Mm -hmm. So those two investments, you can't use an ROI on because you're not going to get an accurate prediction. That's when we look at things like IRR because the time value of money for those two products is radically different. Your revenue drops off to almost nothing um, after the first year if it's a car. And it actually peaks up after the first year if it's a credit card. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Right. So IRR or ERR or the discounted cash flow rate of return um, kind of help create a level playing field when you're looking at um, different investments that have a different revenue or even different expense flow Mm -hmm. over time. So it's a kind of levels it off a little bit. And again, just like with our lot, the bigger the number, the bigger mm-hmm. the profitability. So those are really helpful. Um, just trying to think if I'm leaving anything else out of the comparison between those two because those really are the most um, common. Um, again, IRR is the most complicated, mm-hmm. um, but what we find is it's actually the most accurate because it's taking a much more detailed look at the economic factors of your investment. And when you talk about the time value of money, that, uh, like your example with the credit card, I think most folks understand um, how that equation works. I, for one, however, had never, um, because I'm not a math guy, uh, obviously, (laughs) but I had never heard... um, of the internal rate of return, but the way you've explained it, um, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and you know that's that's kind of why I think about this a lot, and I want to make it as um, easy to understand and as transparent for people as possible. So that's why I think about it. I mean, there are companies that really do have to think. Um, General Motors was one of them. Where are we? How are we investing our money versus for our card versus our financial services products? Mm-hmm. They have both, right? Um, GMAC is a huge lender, and the board and the executive leadership team of GMAC actually has to think about both those products and how those two products have a very different life cycle, very different expense bases. I mean, you spend probably most 
auto companies spend between five and seven years on a car before it actually goes out to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And you only have a year to make your revenue back. Um, That's very, very different than, say, JMAC's um, card products, Mm -hmm. where they probably spend six months to a year building the product, and they have it out in the marketplace. I mean, their card card portfolio is... um, way over 10 years, I'm thinking they're close to 20 years old now, and they're still making money on those cards. As their board of directors, they need a way to be able to um, logically and rationally assess these two different products and the investments and the return that they get Mm -hmm. on those two products. So IRR is one way to do a balanced uh, investment assessment okay when you have such radically different products and then finally WSJF <laughs> which is a horrible name um, but what it means is and it's my opinion that it's a horrible name yeah because right? I don't think it it really is clear to people that it's an economic calculation especially in the name which is weighted shortage job first <laughs> and um, it's sorry wage Weighted. Oh, weighted. I'm sorry. Yeah. Weighted shortage job first. Okay. So what this is looking at is it's taking into account the same kind of economic indicators that you're looking at for IRR, but what it's adding to the equation is time to market. Okay. So one of the things that we one of the reasons why, remember, that we do Agile, so we think of the four big reasons we do Agile, The first one is improved time to market. Mm -hmm. The people who are doing Agile want to be able to get their features, and sometimes new products, to the market before their competitors. Because we know this is hard science that's been very consistent over the last 60, nearly 70 years since we've been studying it, Mm -hmm. that the person who's in the market first wins. They get to charge the most. So we think of the iPod versus all the other things that came after it. The iPod got to charge a lot more. Right. And so they got a lot more revenue. Everybody who came after them had to charge less. Right. Because you're second and you're third. And what Weighted Shortage Job First does is it helps executives and leaders and the board go, all right, which one of these is going to make us the most money if we get it in to the market first or versus if we're second versus if we're all the way to last. Mm-hmm. And it does, like I said before, take into the uh, an account the other economic um, factors. So at a really, really, really basic level, WSJ is the cost of delay um, divided by the duration. So how long will it take to deliver this product or feature? We usually do, by the way, WSJF at a feature level. The other two are usually done at a product. Mm -hmm. But there's no reason. I've worked with clients who used all three at a feature level, and I've worked with clients who've used all three at a product level. They're all equally accurate regardless of what level. So again, WSJF is 
at very simple terms, the cost delay versus the duration. We get to the cost of delay by first determining the, the user or business value, which is our revenue stream, mm-hmm. um, plus the time criticality. So what does this mean if I'm first? Do I have to be first? Am I already? Did I lose first place already? And now I have to be second. Mm. <laughs> you know, looking at that, and then the last part that goes into the cost to delay equation is the risk reduction or opportunity enablement value. So one of the things that people try and do with ROI and IRR that accountants like me, because I was an accountant in a former life and I've been the investment gatekeeper in a couple of companies and I've read people's proposals and I'm like, are you serious? You're trying to quantify opportunity cost to me? Mm-hmm. Really? On an IRR? No, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's no legitimate way that you can tell me. Well, what we can do with WSJF is we actually can quantify in a legitimate, auditable way opportunity value. So that's huge. That that's by itself is pretty huge. All three of those things are added together, and that's our cost of... Um, delay. Mm-hmm. So how much it's going to cost us if we do this last versus first. And then of course that's divided by the duration or how long our agile team says it's going to take for them to get this ready um, to go to market. It's another one of those equations where we thank um, the Excel gods for giving us Excel. Yes. This is not something you want to do on a napkin. <laughs> more than you want to do IRR on a napkin. Uh, you definitely want to have an Excel spreadsheet for those. The other thing that gets a little tricky for organizations is some of this, um, at, when you're new, when you're assessing things like time criticality, when you're in your brand new to Agile, mm-hmm. um, that's going to be relative. That could be relative. So you may have to look at your entire portfolio and go, okay, which one of these has the highest uh, time criticality, which one's second, which one's third, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you grow into this practice, that will become less of a, um, ex, you know, intellectual exercise and more of a quantitative one. Um, but it, it that evolves like I said, over time, these are it's a fairly new calculation. It's just like we had to evolve over time to get used to ROI. We had to evolve for IRR when we started making that major transition really in the 80s. Um, now we're evolving into getting used to using things like WSJF. Um, one of the things we do know with WSJF, of the three, um, again, if time to market is what's really important to you, mm-hmm. WSJ is absolutely the most accurate. Has been proven to be the most accurate of the three. And I'm and I'm going to conclude or ask um, that it's that measurement of time. Is that why the WSJF is is recommended for both agile and scaled agile? Absolutely. Um, both of those are. 
their their differentiator is a is a methodology and why companies invest in agile and enterprise agile or safe is because they're trying to improve their time to market and ROI and IRR are not going to get you there okay. in being able to prioritize your work so that you are achieving your time to market goals WSJF will so let's take this out a little further and talk about um, boards of directors and why is it or why is what the board of directors measures? Why is that so important? Because what the board measures and what the board's paying attention to is what the organization does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really easy, like for instance, if you're trying to be a true agile house and you you tell everybody strategically, um, we need to improve our time to market, but your core measurements is um, and metric, excuse me, is ROI. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're going to get because that's not what you're measuring. What you're you're measuring is a pure profit and and loss. Um, and so that's what you're going to get. Um, if you're trying to create a competitive advantage, or like let's take card, the card marketplace right now. Um, one company, American Express, is the only card company that's launched e-wallet. They are laughing at everybody else because they're making a lot of money right now. They're first. And the next company you know, who said they're going to have an e-wallet um, is six months away from now and American Express has had it in the marketplace already for a few months yeah. um, at the time that we're recording this and they're killing it. They're yeah. an agile house by the way um, and they have attributed that success and a few others that they've had in the last couple of years to going back to agile. They had agile when I was there uh, uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s um, and fortunately you know, they went in a different direction and they came back full force and said that was a huge mistake. We're going back to Agile. And they have been um, incrementally picking up market position. They put themselves in a position where they could be the first card company to um, uh, deliver e-wallet. They have already been getting an increase in um, card membership because they have e-wallet and no one else does. Um, That's huge. And so the question for all the other card companies now is, who's going to be second? Yeah, and I think even too psychologically in the marketplace, there's never a substitute for being first. Right. And I want to kind of close the loop on why that's important for the board and what they measure. Because if the board is still looking at things like ROI and IRR and not a time-to-market calculator like WSJF, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be first. You're not going to be second. When you are going against a company like American Express that does prioritize their investment portfolio by WSJF, Mm -hmm. they use the other ones too, by the way. They didn't throw them away. They use them in conjunction but they have prioritized innovation and time to market and are killing it. And they've only gone back to Agile. I don't even think it's been three years. It may be about three years. I'll be darned. Um, yeah. And they, so you, you look at what is achievable and it's very real. Um, 
And it, so it's very important for the boards to understand that, one, these calculators are a huge um, part of governance, mm-hmm. which is the biggest part of their job, right? But part of governance, I mean, strategic about your governance is understanding that what you measure is what you will get. So make sure you're measuring the right things. And if time to market is important to you, then make sure you're, mar- you're measuring time to market and you're having the entire organization do the um, economic evaluation of their products and how they're prioritizing their work um, using a calculation that drives the time to market as, as, a, as a major priority. If you're not doing that, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I've heard before that um, what gets measured is what gets worked on, and I think you've just mm-hmm. really uh, validated that. So with respect to these metrics, how do they then relate to governance for boards of directors and executive leaders? Right. So you mentioned in the intro you know, our conversation before about how much I hate waste. Yes, um, part of that is not just wasted money on things that don't add value, mm-hmm. which is a huge part of the board's role in as far as governance and the executive leader's role to make sure that we're not um, wasting money on things that don't add value. Yeah. But the other part is wasted opportunity. Uh-oh. So there are other companies that could have been first to market, right? Right. We, let's stick with the card industry. It didn't have to be American Express. Right. It could have been Bank of America. It right. could have been Chase. They have, uh, it could have been Discover. It could have, it could have been, really those are the big ones, aren't they? It could have been Castle One. I guess that's the other one I was forgetting. Um, it wasn't. There was only one of those companies that didn't waste the opportunity. That's so well said. Um, you have, they all had the same chance and only one took advantage of it. Right. That's, so the board has to give leadership, provide direction, and by choosing, for lack of a better way of saying it, the right metric or the correct metric, um, they did everybody a good turn by getting things mm-hmm. out sooner than not, right? Right. Oh, that's right. that's amazing. And it usually it's, you know, like I said before, it, it's we shouldn't rely on entirely on one um, metric, especially for investment decisioning. Mm-hmm. Um, people know I tend to be a little more conservative, so I would never just do one. Right. I want to look at um, a couple. Um, but if time to market is important to you or is critical to your success in your industry, WSJF has to be one of those metrics. Yeah, and I think um, the other side of that coin and another large part of governance would relate to knowing when is it time to abandon a bad idea or an unprofitable idea. Mm -hmm. That seems like the corollary, isn't it? Right, so it's that that ways the first ways I was talking about where you're doing all this stuff and you're not getting business mm-hmm. value. Um, I I haven't been in a company 
as an employer or consultant where I didn't see that. I have um, a CEO that I used to work with who actually culturally um, was a huge influence, but almost, I haven't heard very few people give him credit for it. Mm-hmm. The CEO of American Express, Harvey Golub, um, really had a huge influence on some of the ways we think about agile and enterprise agile um, from a cultural standpoint. Because, first of all, he was one of the first to align his entire company by product and service. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he I, I don't know, actually, now he said if he's the first, but he's recognized as really an earlier adopter right. of that perspective. And uh, he actually started doing that in the 80s. Um, and as we've talked about that, when you go to Enterprise Agile, you need to organize your work along how you deliver value to the market. Mm-hmm. So you, do, you organize your organization by product and service. And so you think he did that way back in the 80s. Yeah, it. so a real visionary, um, sounds like. Right, and some of the other things that he did, and this just goes to when do you know to abandon something, mm-hmm. is he would challenge us all the time, even if we were already working on a project or a product, while it was living, he would challenge us. Are we solving a business problem? Are we creating business opportunity? Mm-hmm. And if we couldn't say yes to one or both of those things, then he would tell us to stop working on it. Huh. And that was an unusual culture. I was the only place I've worked in where you were not penalized for stopping work because it wasn't adding value. And... That is something I've tried to really instill in my clients. We are capitalists. We're not, we're not here to make work. But American companies have a lot of make work projects and programs going on. Yeah, they're typically that, called initiatives, aren't they? <laughs> they have all kinds of names, you know, special projects. Some of them were even started with the best of intentions. And a great idea, but they didn't take an agile approach and say, okay, let's, let's do the minimum viable product. Let's get it out there and test it and see if this is something somebody actually wants. Yeah. And if they don't want it, then we either pivot to what they do want or we kill it and we do something new. That's why we focus so much in agile and why I work so hard with all my clients to uh, to do the minimum viable product in everything. And we talked about this before. Even when I'm working with them to do an agile implementation, it is in my economic best interest to sell them the entire implementation, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't do that. Typically what I say is, let's do an MVP approach for your enterprise agile implementation. Let's do a slice and see what you think. Mm-hmm. And then you can decide if you want to go forward with this or not. Right. Instead of doing this huge investment, let's do this in small pieces. Because if this product, people don't want it, do you want to spend $10,000 on it or do you want to spend $10 million before you find that out? I only want to spend 10000 Yeah, it makes me think of, um, you were talking about the 80s, um, New Coke. If if only they had had this for New Coke, you know, all the money that could have been saved. Well, and there's a lot of 
products out there. You know, Microsoft has had quite a few. And look, let's look at Internet Explorer. Mm-hmm. Look at how long the market has basically said, I only use Internet Explorer so that I can go online and download Chrome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Years and years and years, right? right? Microsoft has continued to throw money at it. Finally, this year, very recently, actually a couple weeks ago, they said, you know what? We're done mm-hmm. spending money on this thing that is never going to make us money, has never created a <laughs> is never going to get us um, market position, is not a differentiator because everybody just goes to Chrome yep. or they go to Safari. They don't want Internet Explorer. Um, so there are so many examples out there, and I think anybody listening to this can already think of two or three in their workplace right now that they would say needs is a bad idea, is never going to be profitable, our company should kill it. Yeah, I I can imagine that there are. And, you know, I like what you said about make work. I mean, we've all been through been through those um, initiatives, special projects, um, et cetera. And the ability and the acceptance in a culture to just say, you know what, this isn't working. Let's get off of that and on to something else. That would be such a breath a breath of fresh air <laughs> now because yeah, if you're on those projects it's demoralizing oh yes you'd rather be working everybody would rather be working on something that has value and yeah. that's just intrinsic in human nature it's like pushing a rope some days to get those things done. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and most of the time, very few companies that I've been in, by the way, and I know they exist, but most of, most of the companies, if they have those projects that really need to be killed, mm-hmm. it's very likely at the same time they have other initiatives that need to move forward that are starved for resources. That's a good point. So you're strangling opportunity by continuing to spend money on things that are not going to add value. So it really hits you on both sides. You've got just pure waste, um, and then you have, you're hurting your own economic growth and opportunities. So let's make sure we're not missing any, and are there other metrics like the ones you've talked about that boards of directors should be looking at for the sake of good governance in an agile organization and are they different depending on where the organization is in their transformation? Excellent question and the reason I say that is because they are. They're very different. Mm. Um, What you want to be looking at as a board during the transition is actually how is the transition going. Mm -hmm. So you want to be measuring a few things we want to be looking at and before you really engage even on a pilot i work i try really hard with my clients to benchmark our key indicators so we have those four that we always talk about with enterprise agile mm-hmm. so let's benchmark where we are as far as time to market how long is it really taking us to get a new feature product to market or new service to market benchmark our defects how many errors and defects are we going into production with on average benchmark our productivity and our productivity remember is that measure between the time that people are spending on things versus the value Mm -hmm. Uh, you know doing work that 
adds direct value. So a lot of times people, <laughs> and I work with even boards on this, I, I help boards, I'll mediate their meetings, by the way, mm-hmm. and help them have their meetings, their board meetings be more productive because a lot of times, we, we've talked about this, we have bad meeting behaviors. Oh, yeah. And we don't have a set agenda. Or we don't have, we lose focus. And we have people on their cell phones or in their laptops and we have other people have inside conversations and blah, blah, blah. That's all lost productivity. Um, but we, we can actually, as an organization, take it a lot higher than that and we can get to a productivity metric. And the last one I encourage is to do um, an employee survey. And there are companies who specialize in this. Mm-hmm. So just 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 be a no-brainer about it. Go to one of those companies and I can even uh, make recommendations for who to use. But there are companies that specialize in employee engagement surveys right. and can create a benchmark for you. Then, as the transformation is going along, you're going to um, continue to measure those things and see how that pilot, that MVP, is doing. The other things you want to look at are cycle time for your um, features. Mm -hmm. The longer it takes a feature to move through the system, the more value you're losing. Oh, so that's bad. You want to look at things like your work in progress limits because mm-hmm. the more things, this is just human beings. You can't get away from it. The more things human beings are working on, the fewer things they ever get done. That's an interesting point. You really so need to focus. You need to be very, your organization, because we're talking about the board, the board needs to make sure that the organization is focused. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes in a transformation, a board will know how well the transformation is going just by asking, what are your whip limits? Hmm. And if your executive starts to stumble, you, you know your transformation is not going very well. Because if they don't have whip limits, then your executives don't get it yet. They don't understand how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to push everything through the system. And, what, and like I said, when you try to do everything, you get nothing done. So I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, about board engagement with Agile teams. Should they be directly involved with Agile teams? Or are there certain places for them to be or certain times for them to be, if at all? Absolutely. Um, this is something that, for some reason, went away. So we used to, um, it was very common for the project manager of a major um, initiative, something mm-hmm. really that was strategic and important that the board was getting regular reports on, the project manager actually deliver the, the update to the board. For some reason, we've gotten away from that. Um, and I don't think it's healthy behavior. And with Agile, we're trying to bring that that back. The board should always be hearing from the person closest to it at all times. You're going to get the most accurate information that way. As hard as all these leadership layers try Mm -hmm. to convey accurate information, we know from the game of telephone that it never works. No, it never does. So if it's really critically important, and and I'm not there, but I have some pretty strong confidence 
that the program manager in charge of eWallet and American Express mm-hmm. was reporting directly to the executive leadership team and even the board. There, Because there, I know from when I was there, <laughs> um, that's how it was when I was there. That's how it was with what I was working on. And that is critically important not only for the board to have the accurate information that they need to be successful at their jobs, Mm -hmm. but also lets the board know what they need to do and what they may need to do differently to support the success of those kind of programs and products and services. Without that direct communication, that gets muddled. Mm -hmm. And, And whenever it's muddled, we lose value. So I do, the other thing I strongly encourage is one of the things I do, and I'm unique, and more people are starting to do this because I've been talking about it so much, is I have all the teams record their sprint review demos. Uh The board should be asking to see those, especially for the top priority um, features or products, Uh Um, and they should be viewing them, and they should be providing feedback. And on the top ones, they should actually ask if they have time to be invited to the live demo to give feedback. Remember, whatever the board is measuring, whatever the board is paying attention to, the organization delivers. That's so true. I want to, before uh, before we have to end and, and the time we have left, to, mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about um, some individual behaviors. And you touched on this a moment ago when you were talking about um, how you ran meetings and how you helped uh, boards of directors have better meetings. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to bring up the topic of multitasking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even boards do it. Yeah. um, And it it concerns me that uh, if people are really that busy, I guess it's kind of one thing, but... um, you had also mentioned about the need to focus. And is multitasking and, and being disconnected during a meeting, is that uh, a symptom of, a, of an organizational problem or are people overworked or are they inconsiderate or, or what? I have a few things. Um, one is we've made a cultural shift, and I guess I'm just trying to say that slowly because I'm trying to decide who we really is. Um, when I'm in Europe and when I'm in Asia, multitasking in meetings is not an issue. Mm-hmm. It seems to really be a North American problem and more so a an American U.S. problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this zeitgeist that to demonstrate our how important and valuable we are. Um, we have to have lots of emails, and we have to respond to all those emails right now today. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with text messages or instant messages or phone calls. Um, and, the, and the reality is, is, and I've done this exercise with people, and I think I'm on the verge of doing this exercise with a client, now, the client I'm working with now is 
actually work with the the worst offender mm-hmm. and have the whole team look at the emails that they were reading and responding to while they were in the meeting. Oh man. And not to punish that person, but to point out how almost none of them were critical. Yeah. All of them could have waited. Um and the cost of multitasking in meetings is really, really high. Um Unfortunately, I didn't think about this beforehand, but I would have looked up the numbers, but there's a lot of studies that show how much of our time is wasted because other people, because anybody is multitasking in a meeting. Mm -hmm. How many times have we had to repeat things that were discussed because someone wasn't paying attention? It happens in every single meeting. How many times were a key decision or a a key element of the meeting misunderstood because someone was multitasking? Mm -hmm. It happens in nearly every single meeting. How many times did someone not complete an action item because they didn't realize it was assigned to them because they weren't paying attention during the meeting? Almost every single meeting. Mm. So it, it is helpful to do this exercise for yourself or to do it as part of a team and really assess how important responding to that email was right now versus waiting until after the meeting was done Mm -hmm. um, versus the loss and the value of that meeting. Yeah, all of the people in a room and how much money each of them are making and et cetera. it's, It's very expensive. Yeah. And then the other part that is harder to quantify is the sort of we call it the EQ, but the emotional quotient mm-hmm. that happens. So when you have, especially one person, always on, in their face, in their laptop, that person quickly becomes the least trusted member of the team. Really? Wow. Because they're the least engaged. And what they're saying in their physical behavior is that the people in that room are not important or valuable to them. Uh-huh. And most people don't understand that, how potent their body language is right. and what they're communicating to other people. And I've seen this. I've seen it where, you know, agile teams that I'm, I'm working with where the coach, or sorry, I'm the coach, where the <laughs> product owner or the scrum master has their face in the laptop the whole time. Wow. And what that tells the team is that they're not important. It's the same thing has happened, and I, I've, we've talked offline about the coaching I've done with boards and, mm-hmm. and helping them impro- improve their board effectiveness, is I so many times now, almost every time now that I'm brought in by a board is saying, our meetings are not as effective as we need them to be. And I come in for that first observation meeting where I just sit in the back of the room and I don't say a damn word Mm -hmm. and I just watch. There's always at least one person who spends the entire time with their face in their phone. Mm. And I go, that's why you don't have board cohesion. Right. Because you have one person who's physically saying to you the entire time they have more important things to do than be there. That's so true. And what you said about body language and, and the nonverbal cues that we give to people um, is mm-hmm. every bit, if not more, um, effective or persuasive than a lot of times what we say. 
there's right. bound to be a term for it. Um, <laughs> Probably is. I'll I'll look for that. I'll look for that later. Um, but that's also why it's important. So if you if you are listening, you know, somebody's listening to this and they have that situation, it's so hard in those situations for the people on that team to say to that person or that or that board to mm-hmm. say to that board member, dude. Get your face out of your phone. Yeah, knock it off. It is a lot easier and a lot more comfortable for the for the board, and that's why I find myself brought into these situations for me to come in, right? As a third party, because I'm disinterested, right? I'm just in a purely objective third party, right? And I can come in and coach the board and help them solve some of these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's what I do all the time and, and help them um, get past these because it's hard when you're on that board and I'm on boards too. So I know how hard it is Mm -hmm. to approach that member or members because it's usually more than one and say, seriously, you're telling us all the time that we're not important. Can you put your cell phone away and really pay attention or will you vacate your seat? So someone who wants to be here can be in your seat. I can say that for you in a very diplomatic way. Sure. And that person doesn't get mad at the rest of the board. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, you know, what you say about having somebody that, uh, who, who comes from the outside, um, be able to deliver difficult messages like that. Mm-hmm. It's extremely valuable. Your reading aloud of the, of the emails reminds me of when we were in grade school and somebody got caught passing notes and you had to, read it out loud to the rest of the class. That was, that's tough medicine. <laughs> our, our teachers weren't wrong. Some of the things we learned in kindergarten were, were lifelong lessons. Well, once again, Ren, we've learned a great deal from you in, in a short period of time. And for those listening who want to talk with Ren directly, go to her website, and it's wrenmelberg.com. And there's a contact tab, and you go there. And the mechanism for being directly in touch with Ren exists there. And if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, it's RenMelberg.com, R-Y-N-M-E-L-B-E-R-G.com. Next week, we'll be back with another edition of The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. Come back and learn more about Agile and scaled Agile frameworks and different acronyms, just like we did this week. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye for now.